Wait in Jerusalem until you receive, until you receive the, the gift my Father has promised, and you will receive power, and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts begins with Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, previously <laughs> in the story of Jesus, in my former book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus said and did. And then the book of Acts becomes the sequel. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost becomes God's second greatest gift to us. The first gift was for our salvation. The second gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift, was given so that we could live this life that God has called us to live. It's not easy. It's not easy. Salvation makes us fit for heaven. Pentecost makes us fit for earth. That's the way I like to put it. Jesus said the greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we, have a, we were okay with the first part. We can love God. We know God. We understand God. We understand his word. We can love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. But I have a problem with some neighbors. <laughs> True? And so God sends a Holy Spirit so that I can overcome the sinful nature in my life that Paul talks about. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do in old to do da day. I can overcome that sinful nature, and I can love my neighbor as myself. And so it's so important that we understand the book of Acts. Um, it's the beginning of the early church. Two gifts given to meet mankind's two biggest problems. The fact that we've sinned and the fact that we're sinners. Jesus took care of the first problem. The Holy Spirit helps us with the second. The Holy Spirit was given to give us the power needed, not only in the church, but the power needed by you and I as individuals, you see, to do the work that God has called us to do, that God has prepared for us to do. It is God who works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to will and to act according to his good purpose. To will and to act, our will is our wanna. The problem is with the wanna. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, it gives us what has become known as the Great Commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is also uh, uh, the, the fulfillment of that commission by the disciples. Um, Acts chapters 2 through 7 have to do with their witness in Jerusalem. If you think about the book of Acts, if you've read through the book of Acts, chapters 2 through 7 is all about their witness in Jerusalem. And then 8 through 12 
have to do with the witness in Judea and Samaria. It starts to spread into what is known as Palestine. And then in chapters 13 through 28, we find Peter opening the door of the worldwide witness, opening the door to the Gentiles. And then, of course, there was Paul, who was chosen to be the apostle and the vessel through which the message of the gospel was to be carried around the then known world. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the world. And so the book of Acts really becomes the fulfillment of that great commission by the disciples. Now, of course, this worldwide evangelism and, and message of the gospel goes on even today. We are still spreading the word as far as we know across the world over 2,000 years later, and it will continue to spread until Christ returns and the Holy Spirit, the promised gift, and the church are taken out of the world. Second Thessalonians 2.7 For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Who is the one who's holding it back? Holding what back? Holding back evil. Holding back evil in our world. Is there evil in our world? Sure there is. But the Holy Spirit is doing his best to hold it back, to keep it under control as much as possible. Imagine what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. And the church is raptured. And there's nothing left on earth but evil. Hell on earth. It's called the tribulation. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. I just wrote a book, my newest book. I don't have a copies of it yet. Uh, but uh, I hope to get them soon. My newest book is called The Five R's of Revelation. <coughs> the Five R's of Revelation. Um, I couldn't uh, continue writing without, uh, or stop writing, I should say, without telling the end of the story. So, <laughs> so I come up with the five R's of Revelation. Everybody seems to want to know about the end times, about Revelation, what's going to happen, and all of that. And so that book is all about that. It's about the rapture and the, the revelation and the rapture and the tribulation and all of those things that happen during the end times. When the Holy Spirit, I, I ended last week with this thought, when the Holy Spirit is filling and leading the church, it ought to be a dynamic force of change in the world. When the Holy Spirit is filling and leading the church, it ought to be a dynamic force in the world. It's like a glowing orange hot iron that sets fire to everything it touches. People see things in the church like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, which we call fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Those aren't fruits, plural, that's the fruit. It's all one fruit. It's like an orange, all the slices of the fruit contained within the rind of love. It's the fruit of the Spirit that people see 
Um, and, and, and they don't see in the Right? Our, someone once said that uh, um, our job is to just set up the meeting. <laughs> it's, it's God's job to change people, to transform lives. It's God's job to get people saved and bring them to a knowledge of the gospel and a knowledge of His Word and to bring them of a better understanding of the church and its people. And He does that through His Holy Spirit, which changes the way we think. The way we think about the church, the way we think about God, the way we think about each other, it changes how we think. God's Word says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens when, when God's Holy Spirit begins to change how we think? I used to think when... when before I got into the ministry, before I got saved myself, I used to think the church was nothing but a bunch of holy rollers. Remember those days? <laughs> those people are crazy. Go to church? Are you kidding? You become a Christian, you can't do anything. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't go with girls that do. But the Holy Spirit, you see, gets a hold of us, begins to change how we think. And when He changes how we think, it begins to change. It starts to drop about 18 inches. And it begins to change how we feel. How we feel about God. It begins to change how we feel about other people. It begins to change how we feel about the church collectively. And guess what? When you begin to change how you think and change how you feel, it begins to change how you act. Does that make sense? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the promised gift. 
People don't see it in the world. They don't see it in the world. Hopefully they see it in the church. Well, the Holy Spirit does more than that, as if that wasn't enough. But the Holy Spirit does more. So here we go. First, there is the work of direction. Direction. While Jesus was here, you see, he, he directed his disciples. He said, let's go here. Let's go there. Let's get in the boat. Let's go across over there. Let's go to the, to the garden and pray. He directed the disciples, everything they did and everywhere they went. Believe this and understand that. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he told them that he would not leave them alone, but that he would send his Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the promised gift, to teach us and to lead us and to guide us and direct their ministry from that point on. And so the first work of the Holy Spirit is direction. In Luke 24, 49, he said this, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In John 14, 12, he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than what I've been doing, because I am going to the Father. In John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world, you see, cannot accept him because it neither knows him nor sees him. Which brings me to another thought. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses, quoted verses of the Bible. I'm sure we could go up and down the rows and just about everyone here could, could uh, repeat that verse, Christian or not. Because it's been said over and over and over and over. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Let me back up a little bit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Did you know that you're a whosoever? If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a whosoever. I did a sermon one time on whosoever's called, Are Whosoever's from Whoville? <laughs> and and I, ha I had these buttons. Do you remember the buttons? I had these buttons made, and all it said was, I'm a whosoever. And I had everybody passed out buttons and everybody said, wear that button for the next few days or weeks. I'm a whosoever. And here's what it does. As soon as people read that, they say, what's a whosoever? Right? Perfect opportunity to witness. What's a whosoever? Well, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever believes, not whosoever goes to church, 
He didn't say whosoever cleans up their life. He didn't say whosoever does this or that. Whosoever goes to Sunday school. Whosoever reads their Bible. He said whosoever Whosoever believes. He gave His only Son that whosoever believes shall not perish. I'm a whosoever. I hope you are. After Jesus left, it became the Holy Spirit's job to teach the disciples and enable them and empower them and direct them. Of course, throughout the book of Acts, we can see exactly how that played out in the church. In the beginning, the Holy Spirit directs Peter to walk through an open door given to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And when Peter returns to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11, the Jews question and criticize what Peter was doing. In verse 17, Peter says this, Who was I to think I could oppose God? Peter was led by the Spirit, was obedient to the Spirit. He, he was directed by the Spirit, and he did what he was told, even though it radically departed from the traditions of the church. Even though it radically departed from the traditions of the Jews. Next, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit directs the church by separating Barnabas and Paul. And uh, it says, for the work to which they were called, which turns out to be a missionary work, they were called to go uh, travel and start churches. And that's exactly what they did. Further on in Acts, we're told that the Holy Spirit directed them not to go to certain places. And so the Holy Spirit was directing the church, so to speak, way back then. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and he, he took over for Jesus. And he said, go here, go there, do this, do that. And they did what they were told. 3,000 people were added to the church. 5,000 people were added to the church. The church kept growing and growing. And it still grows today. So let me ask this, does the Holy Spirit direct the church today, or do we? Does the Holy Spirit direct the church, or do we? Do we say, let's do this, let's do that, let's go here, let's go there, let's try this, let's try that? Or do we get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have us do? More often than not, we pray for the Holy Spirit to bless what we're doing. <laughs> we say, let's do this, let's do that, let's try this, let's try that, and hope God will bless it. Too often we're doing things backwards, it's just a thought. The second work of the Holy Spirit, the first work is direction. The second work of the Holy Spirit is protection. The Holy Spirit protects the church from hypocrisy and corruption and sin. 
<clears throat> Acts chapter 4 describes a time when the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. They had all things in common and shared with one another as they had need. However, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a parcel of land and kept some of the proceeds for themselves. Peter calls them before him and says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? If you know the story, you know that their sin was not in bringing only part of the money. It was the hypocrisy of saying they had given it all. Oh, look what we did. Look how wonderful we are. We sold our property and gave everything to the church. And the Holy Spirit said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something not right here. And so their sin was hypocrisy. They said that they had given all the money in order to impress other people and to appear more committed than they really were. The Holy Spirit, in an attempt to protect the church, exposes their sin. The Holy Spirit will expose false teaching. The Holy Spirit will expose false preaching. Have we experienced that at all? Yeah, I can name about 10 preachers who have fallen big time. The Holy Spirit exposed their sin. The problem is, is when the big one falls, it takes a lot of people with it. But the Holy Spirit will, ex will expose wrong attitudes. The Holy Spirit will expose wrong motives. This is what the gift of discernment is all about. The Holy Spirit gives some people, certain people, a special gift of discernment. And they usually are the ones that say, wait a minute, something isn't right. Something's not right. And so the Holy Spirit, through the gift of discernment, will expose sin in the church. Protection. The third work of the Holy Spirit is edification. Edification, the key work of the Holy Spirit that edifies the body and builds it up and exhorts us to righteous living. How does he do that? Well, let me use a, an analogy, if I may, of a sailboat. Um, a, a church without the Holy Spirit is like a sailboat without any wind. Simple analogy. The boat's not going nowhere. It just drifts around, goes around in circles, bobs up and down on the water, blown and tossed here and there by the waves, as the word says. Oh, there's, there could be a lot of activity going on in the boat, but it's not going anywhere. And eventually, it's just dead in the water. Now, I want you to imagine, if you will, that the sail, because this is easy to misinterpret, the sail of the sailboat 
represents the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So there's a lot of activity in the boat. There's a lot of people that have the gifts of the Spirit. Some 19, 21 gifts the Bible lists. But here's the problem. There's no wind. There's no wind. You see, the sail doesn't move the boat. The wind. The wind moves the boat. It's the wind in the sails that moves the boat. So our first and only question as a church ought to be, is there any wind? When the wind of the Holy Spirit fills the sails of the church with Spirit-filled worship and Spirit-filled teaching and Spirit-filled preaching, Spirit-filled people using their gifts and their talents and their skills, well, you better hold on because it's going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride. I've seen churches, maybe you have too, I've seen churches that just, they have Spirit-filled preaching and teaching and they pray the Holy Spirit fill the church they pray for the Holy Spirit to to fill their witness they pray for the Holy Spirit to to uh, enhance their preaching and their teaching and their Sunday school classes and and everything in the church is led by the Holy Spirit and it fills the sails and that church just takes off have you ever seen a church like that it's on fire Why isn't every church like that? Probably because there's not much wind. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says they enjoyed the favor of God and the people. They enjoyed the favor of God and the people. It was because the Holy Spirit was directing and protecting and edifying the church, building up the church. As they came together in one accord and one purpose to make disciples and to spread the good news of the gospel. It's a tragic mistake to think that we can do church without the direction, protection, and edification power of the Holy Spirit. Even with everything we have at our disposal today, all of our technology, all of our sound equipment, all of our big beautiful buildings, everything we have today, we are still not as powerful as the early church way back in the book of Acts. It tells us that 3,000 were added to their number. 5,000 were added to their number. Was it the fact that they had a great, big, beautiful building? No. Was it the fact that they had just the right style of worship? No. 
Was it the fact that they had the best preacher in the world? No. The thing that attracted them to the church way back in the book of Acts is the same thing that attracts people to the church today. It's the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth, changing lives, filling people with fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, coming together as people share together. The gifts of the Spirit are being used to do what needs to be done and doing it all for God's glory. God's glory. Maybe we need to take heed to God's own word when he says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Is there any wind? Is there any wind? Next Sunday will be my last Sunday in this series. And uh, you won't want to miss it. The title of next week's message is 120 Disciples in a Honda. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the power of your Holy Spirit that works in us and through us to not only bring forth your message, but to bring forth the fruit to enable the gifts, to fill the sails of the church, if you will, with the wind of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that it would not be by our power, by our might, by our thoughts and our deeds, but by your Spirit, that your church would grow, that people would see, the world would see, and they would come to the doors and welcome your Son into their lives and allow the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to change them, to direct them, to protect them and build them up. We pray all these things would happen in your time, in your glory, for your glory. As your people come together as one, all going in the same direction, with the same goals, with the same thought, with the same heart, working toward the ministry that you've given us, the ministry of reconciliation. And we will thank you for it, and we will praise you for it. In Jesus' holy name, amen.